Good evening and welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. We're glad that you're joining us tonight. We pray that your week is going well and we want to share the word of the Lord with you tonight. But before we do that, I just want to make this announcement uh, so everybody's aware. Uh, we're changing our schedule here a little bit at Spirit of Grace Church. So this will be the last Wednesday evening I'm on on a regular basis. I may pop on from time to time. But as far as week to week, this will be the last uh, time that we're going to do this. Beginning the 1st of September, uh, which is a Thursday night, we're going to be starting in-person uh, uh, Bible study night here at the church. And so we're going to be studying the concept of eschatology beginning 1st of September. And so we will be treating that as our midweek service and operate online similar to what we do on Sundays. Uh, we can't promise you that the Thursday night session will be up on Friday morning or anything, but we're going to work and do our best to get that up there as quick as we can uh, to support you in your studies because we understand that there are people really from all around the world that have checked us out here online. We're appreciative of that and we want to continue to share the word with as many people as we can leading up to the coming of the Lord. And uh, we're, we're very thankful that God has given us this opportunity. We're thankful for the technology that allows us to reach all kinds of people in all different places of the world. Praise God. Tonight I want to, uh, so that's, that, that's your announcement coming up. This will be our last night on a regular Wednesday. So tonight I want to, I want to read from Amos chapter 8, verse number 11. And I understand that this is prophetic, but in all of the prophecies, we can pull the principles of the prophecy out for us today. But verse 11 says this, the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And uh, I, I'm fearful that we're in some of that aspect now that People aren't paying attention to the word of the Lord. They're not listening for the word of the Lord. They're not experiencing the word of the Lord. I believe the word of the Lord is more than just the Bible that we read, but it's the very person of Jesus that we experience. And um, I want to share with you tonight just about the word of the Lord and what hinders it and what we can do to come against that and grow in it and learn it and experience it even more. Praise God. I believe that Jesus gives us an example in uh, Luke chapter 4, when he is taken into uh, the desert and tempted of the enemy, and each time the enemy tempts him, his response is, this, thus it is written, or according to the word of God. And so I believe that uh, Jesus was giving us an example to live overcoming lives by the word of the Lord. And uh, so I believe that more important than all of our needs uh, and wants more than our physical life itself is God's word to man. Uh, I believe that um, the definition of the word of God is simply, uh, in my mind, God's total revelation of himself to humanity. It's the reason why John 1 says that the word was God. Verse 14 says that God became flesh. God was revealing himself to us. The word was coming alive. It's the reason why I believe the word is more than just the scriptures that we read, although those are the words, I believe, of the Lord, but it is the person that we can experience. 
And I believe that one reason for the church's decline in spirituality, if you will, uh, today is a serious neglect of the word of the Lord, a loss of impetus of the Christian gospel, the good news of the word of God, um, a failure to proclaim Jesus with authority. Uh, in the imagery of the prophet Amos that we read, it's a famine, not of bread, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. I believe that the enemy wants to hinder the word of the Lord. Uh, again, we're talking both the, the, the written word of God, but also the experience. If he can keep you from experiencing Jesus, it doesn't matter what the Bible will do for you. If you're not experiencing Christ, you're not you're not experiencing life in abundance. And if you're not experiencing life in abundance, the devil wins. And so I want to, first of all, start tonight by sharing some hindrances in our society that I believe have come against or have clouded the uh, God's word in our life. The first one, and this is probably somewhat more of an American kind of thing, but is materialism. Materialism. We are constantly being bombarded by the false seduction of material things that steal our hearts away from Jesus. They close our ears to his voice and they turn our feet out of his path. I want you to think about, if, you're, if, if you watch just uh, one hour of television, uh, it means that you're getting about, oh, five, ten minutes of constant advertisement telling that you're missing out on this big thing or that great thing and your car is not good enough because this new car is so powerful and special and, and et cetera, et cetera, that your um, diet isn't doing very well. And so you want to have this kind of ice cream and that kind of drink and this kind of beverage and, <coughs> excuse me, et cetera, et cetera, that all of a sudden we get tuned out because we're consistently thinking about the things that we're able to possess. There is a spirit of covetousness that comes upon humanity and uh, it has crept even into the church, causing us to ignore the truth that we can't serve God and mammon. And that word mammon, I know, means primarily money, but it really means material things. We're looking for the next toy. We're looking for the next hobby. We're looking for the, the nice car, the nice home, the things that give us material satisfaction. And uh, I believe that the world's uh, pressures... Uh, although they are sometimes subtle, sometimes they're not, but sometimes they're subtle that we can resist them only if we're consistently or continuously being renewed in the power of our minds, according to Scripture. And just as an aside there, I want to encourage you to go to our webpage and you can follow onto our Chainbreaker Conference. We put those services up and we dealt very in depth with the concept of our thinking. It was a great, great weekend. But in the temptation of Jesus, it was only through Jesus quoting scripture that Jesus overcame Satan. And how much more then do we need to have God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him? The word of the Lord is a light unto our, a lamp unto our pathway, a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. It is the thing that illuminates the steps that we are supposed to take. It illuminates the direction that we're supposed to go. And so we need to get to that place where the word of God 
overwhelms the desire for material things. The second thing or hindrance tonight that I want to share with you, I believe is, I'm going to just label it activism. Now, I'm not talking about uh, political protests and that kind of activism. I'm talking about being active or being busy. Richard Foster, in, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, he says it this way, quote, In contemporary society, our advisory majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied, becoming overactive. C.G. Young once remarked this, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And yet how much do we hurry from one thing to the next? Our calendars are full and we almost wear it as a badge of honor that our schedules are jam-packed with things that we supposedly need to do and want to do and have to do. Sometimes we even use our activity or our activeness to shield us from personal pain, from frustration or insecurity by just being busy. And uh, we've been saying it around here lately. It's an old saying that says we can become so busy for God that we become too busy for God. And, uh, and, and obviously we can do even the things that we think are good and righteous and holy, but if we're just doing the things and not doing and not communicating and spending time with the one that created the things, we're missing out on what God has for us. In fact, Jesus had to remind Martha, stop worrying and fussing about dinner. Mary's doing what she needs to do. She's soaking up the word of the Lord as I'm sitting in your presence. You see, in our constant rush, oftentimes, we don't think that we have time for God, forgetting that God is the giver of our time. How many people say that they're too busy to go to church, and they've got this and this and this, and they're, listen, God's the one that's given us time, and God's given us the ability to set our calendar. If you can't find time to attend church, to spend time with God, to spend time in meditation and reading and prayer, it's not a God issue. It's a you issue. It's a schedule issue. You and I get so bogged down with being busy, and it's usually because we don't want to sit still with the Lord. And see, what happens is when we, from activism and that concept of being active and busy, increasing numbers are looking to other modes or avenues. And it's the reason in the last 15 or 20 years, meditation and yoga and all those things have just exploded because people are tired of being busy and they have failed to realize that if they would just stop for a while and spend it with the Lord, their time would be redeemed. So I, I believe that there are people that are hungry for it, but it's still a hindrance to the Word of God. Not only the reading of the Word, but hindrance to the personal experience of the Word. The third thing is something obviously that's not new either. It's been going on since the beginning of time. But that is what I will label as humanism. Jesus, in fact, once rebuked Simon by calling him or by saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. You think as men think, not as God thinks. And that's really the classic description of humanism. The ideas that you live by start from man and not from God. Everything is seen from man's point of view and not from God's point of view. Man's thoughts about God 
become more important than God's thoughts about man. Let me just say that again. Man's thoughts about God become more important than God's thoughts about man. How many of you have gotten yourself or caught yourself in a debate with a friend or or someone that uh, about what you think God is and how you think God operates and where you think God loves the most and what what does he mean by this instead of looking at things and say well what does God say about me what does God say about man you see the independent spirit of this secular age that we live in where uh, freedom is defined as doing whatever you want to do and tolerance is become intolerant and and all the things that our society has allowed what's really the problem there is that they have refused because of their independence external authority uh, from the Lord especially but for instance if I start preaching or teaching about submission to leadership submission to husbands and wives so all of a sudden it gets really quiet because it's something that we don't like because especially here in America we're the land of the free and the home of the brave we can we've set ourselves that we no 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 freedom is doing what's right knowing it and having the ability to do it and so uh, we've but our society has taken this concept of freedom and says I'm going to do what I want not what God or anyone else wants and if I'm offended then I'm going to make you do what I want too and so the doctrinal and moral implications of secular humanism or the, the, the mindset that it originates from man are obvious and devastating. And we stop listening to God and we start re stop rejecting the authority of the scripture and our beliefs and our behaviors are shaped then by human reason or social trends. And uh, you, I'll show you, the, you show me the church that's constantly changing I'll show you the church that's following social trends. The message is always the same. Yes, we update our methods, but the message is always the mighty God in Christ. The fourth thing is textualism. Um, I, I, here, here's what I mean by that. I mean an orthodoxy without the Holy Ghost, a set establishment of uh, belief structures without the inspiration of the Spirit. It speaks of churches that can be fundamentally sound in text, in, in interpreting the scripture, but they're spiritually hard and dry. A.W. Tozer said it this way, quote, everywhere among conservatives, and he's talking about religious people, not pol politically conservative, everywhere among conservatives, we find persons who are Bible taught, but not spirit taught. Truth that is experienced is no better than error and may be fully as dangerous. What he's saying there is until the Holy Ghost illumines our dull minds and warms our cold hearts, we cannot receive God's truth uh, no matter how accurately we know the concepts of Scripture and the right words. We may even be able to teach them. But it's the balance of between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Uh, I want to know him, which means I need to know him not only in word and deed, but in emotion, in thought process. I want to know him, and I want him to know me. The living God is, I believe, constantly speaking to us, but we've got to be willing to listen. 
It, it, it's not enough to know that you can read the Bible backwards and forwards. You be, can be able to quote it. You can be able to argue about it. But if you're going to stay spiritually alive and alert, that word needs to be activated in you and it be, needs to become experiential because the word isn't just the written uh, gathering of information that we call the Bible. The word is the revealed power of God in Christ Jesus. When you come to know Jesus, you are coming to know the word. It's an experience beyond just the text. I've read of people, think about this, I've read of people in communist prisons that knew Bible verses such as, my grace is sufficient for you, but they found little comfort in those verses. And here's the reason why they found little comfort. It is God's grace that is sufficient, not the verse about it. Let me say that again. It's God's grace that is sufficient, not the verse about God's grace. You can have a beautiful picture of a seaside and not have the sea. And so the question is, when I'm talking about textualism hindering the word of God, is that we aren't willing to embrace God himself. We just want to have another textbook so that we can prove the facts as we see them. That's textualism. The, the, the kind of hand in hand with that is what I would call literalism. And what I mean by that is uh, people can take portions and words of Scripture and identify them what they mean and build whole doctrines about them that uh, are doctrines based off of their own insight to certain things instead of taking the full proper uh, hermeneutical or the interpretation of Scripture, uh, the Bible exegesis, if you will. Um, and so literalism can, can mess it up. The flip side of that is intellectualism. Jesus came to bring life, and we need every word of God in our life. In the West, we've often embraced the concept of, of Greek truth and knowledge, and we've excluded Hebrews, it's, but we have to have a balance. You see, the Greeks saw truth in terms of propositions, abstract statements um, and words, whereas Hebrew truth was seen in the act, in the term of action and relationship. We've got to have both. We've got to know them, know God in our head, but we also have to know him in our heart. We have to have the experience and the knowledge of who he is. Jesus talked about knowing him. And Paul said it this way, I, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. That word know is both on an intellectual level and experiential level, or heart level, if you will. Uh, so to, to the Greek, knowing God was like knowing the stars in the universe. The word of God is a dynamic uh, expression of the life and power of the living God. But for the disciple of Jesus, uh, the study of the Bible should never simply be an academic exercise. Uh, one person said it this way, to say that the Bible is our authority means that we let our theological thinking be tested by it and that we let our lives be molded by it. So we think and act. It shapes our thoughts, emotions, attitude, desires, and will. And so uh, intellectualism. And notice that in each one of these situations that I've talked about, 
I'm really talking about balance because on their own, for instance, materialism isn't bad if it's put in the right light, in the right context. Textualism, intellectualism, literalism, all those are good and proper if they're in the right balance. And so the last one I want to talk to you tonight about is anti-intellectualism. Um, reading into scripture and spiritualizing whatever you want it to say. Eastern mysticism uh, places a dangerous emphasis on experience and rejects logic and rational thought. And so we have to be unhealthy. The flip side of being so literal that we don't experience anything, the flip side, anti-intellectualism, is that all we do is go based off of our experiences without the logic behind it. It has to be a balance between the two. We must be aware of an unhealthy interest in the sensational. Uh, we must be cautious about depending solely on subjective prophecies and visions in matters of guidance rather than understanding the biblical principles and prayerfully applying them. You see, the early Christians had a rich experience with God, sometimes even that mystical one. And when I say mystical, I'm talking about a spiritual, non-tangible experience. But Paul said he was he had a different look on his experiences. He urged his readers to set your mind on the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, and to test the spirits. This doesn't mean expecting one supernatural experience after another, but rather it means living a Christ life like each day that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, and you will see those supernatural interventions from time to time. Praise God. So those are some hindrances to the Word of God or to Jesus himself. And so now I want to talk to you a little bit about hearing God's Word. I believe this. I believe that Christianity is basically or essentially a revealed religion. It's not man searching for God in the dark. I preached a message a couple of weeks ago called Hide and Seek. And, and I believe that God hides from us from time to time, but he does so like an adult playing with a child. He leaves his feet out from the curtains so that he's easy to be found. He leaves the door open a crack and he hides behind it, but there's enough light behind there that anybody walking by it can find him behind the door because he understands the anticipation of a human being able to find him. So he's not hiding to keep himself unrevealed. He's hiding so that we would anticipate what we're going to experience when we do find him. Seek him with all your heart. And so I believe that there's at least three expressions um, of the Word of God in Scripture, Jesus being the ultimate expression, uh, God manifest in the flesh. But the first, and that is really the first one, the personal Word, if you will, the Word of God become flesh and dwelling among us. God's not an impersonal God. God is a very personal God. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to just have you learn by the textbook, if you will, and have the head knowledge when you walk out of the class. He wants to have an experience and a, a relationship with you. So the first one is a personal word. The second one is a written word. Although God, by definition, is the ultimate authority, the Bible is our final court of appeal as to what God is trying to tell us. Here, the Bible is the God-given objective test for our behavior and our belief who we are. It gives us direction. And there are three main um, 
aspects of understanding this written word. The one is tricky because it relies on man, and this can be this is interpreted, so to speak, by tradition. Okay, here's the problem with tradition. As good as some tradition is, almost all tradition is based not on the things of God, but on man or woman. It's based upon humanity. And it can be a benefit at times as well because it gives you something to live based off of, but don't let your tradition overweigh what the word of the Lord is trying to say. The second one is God's word is interpreted by reason. For everything that goes on in the earth, the human body, there has to be God's word. And But this has caused people trouble because their reason doesn't line up. Bible said it this way. Let me put it to King James. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We can't logically embrace the virgin birth. I don't know how humanity or how deity fused himself and became the God-man. I can't explain that. I just know that he did it. I can't explain some miracles. I can't explain the resurrection and the ascension. I just know that it happened. And maybe someday he'll share with us how he does it, but I don't think we're going to worry about it when we get there. Praise God. And then the third one is it's being interpreted by the scriptures themselves. And uh, Jesus endorsed it. He lived it. He taught it. He knew it. He fulfilled it. And I believe all of these are, are can be, if they're, again, in balance, ways of interpreting. Dr. J.I. Packer said this, Christ's textbook caused loyalty to Christ, our risen Savior and enthroned Lord, calls for submission to Scripture and anyone or any church declining to believe and do what is written there or failing in practice to be faithful to it is to the extent a rebel against Christ. Second Timothy says that scripture was God-breathed and inspired. So the written word, the personal word, the written word, and then the last one is the spoken word. God, I believe, uses voices, uh, anointed preaching, anointed teaching. And when I say um, the spoken word, this is from coming through man. So it could be a book that was written by man, not the Bible. The Bible, I believe, was the old men of men of old, holy men of old, wrote as the Holy Ghost gave them inspiration. But I believe that there are a lot of good writers today that are really just expressing the spoken word in written form and uh, comes through witnessing and testifying and uh, prophesying and preaching and teaching and explaining. Praise God. So that that's hearing God's word. Now, the, it's one thing to hear it, but we need to understand it too. In fact, Jesus constantly rebuked religious leaders for their wrong interpretation of the scriptures. In all the examples, Jesus never changed the word of God as given in scripture. He simply corrected the false interpretation of the word and brought it back to its original meaning and purpose. You see, the Holy Ghost must be evident in your interpretation of scripture. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 tells us, no prophecy of Scripture is by any man's interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if these words were originally written in the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it is of obvious necessity for the Holy Ghost to help interpret what the Holy Ghost wrote. This is done through relationship. It's done through prayer. We, we need to ask ourselves then, what does the original text say to the original hearer? We cannot take scripture out of context. And 
if we find the word said to the first hearer, this is what it means, we must apply that and then take what does it say to me. Uh, to answer those questions, you, you need to look at three things. Now, I've, I've used five ways of interpretation. I've said the word, the verse, the chapter, the book, the Bible, okay? We can break that down to three. The word, the context of the passage, which would imply the verse and the chapter, and really even the book, and then uh, the book and the Bible together. Um, because uh, the first thing is the words. And a good translation is not a transliteration. In other words, it's not necessarily word for word. For example, in the New English Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, 13 translates, the man who falls into ecstatic utterance. Okay, well, the strict translation from the Greek is one who speaks in tongues or in a tongue. Okay, so the million, many millions of Christians who speak in tongues do not necessarily have, do it in an ecstatic fashion. It's not an ecstatic uh, utterance all the time. It's a gift and a language that God speaks through us. Uh, whenever possible, we need to get back to the original text and inquire, inquire carefully. For, assuming that the same word means different things in English. We've talked about this at Spirit of Grace for a long time. For instance, Paul says that a man is justified by works while James uh, says that he uh, that he is, or Paul says he's not justified. James says that he is. Well, there's not really a con contradiction there when you understand that Paul is talking about the means of justification and James is talking about the fruits of justification. Paul says you're never going to be justified by your works, and James says, but when you're justified, you're going to reveal your works. It's really a continuous uh, expression, if you will, not a contradiction of terms. And so we have to take extreme care when we're dealing with different passages. And then we look at the context. Any verse or passage must be understood in light of the book who it's written to. Romans is written to the saints that are in Rome first. And uh, so we have to understand that when it's talking about salvation and it's talking about different things, it's explaining what the believer had happen already because they're already saints in Rome. They're not telling us how to do something. They're explaining what took place when they already did it. You see the difference in the context? So context is very important, as well as literary form. We have prophecies. We have poetry. We have um, narrative. All kinds of things in Scripture that we need to make sure of. And then I also add one more, because I believe in this very strongly is I believe in culture. I believe that the Bible addresses every culture at their time of culture. Our culture is obviously always changing. Thus, the Bible addresses all these changes in its own way. And we are foolish, I believe, if we try to bend the Word of God to fit a culture that the Word of God is not trying to address right now. Our culture is totally different, and so we have to be able to uh, draw up guidelines and doctrines and behavior to adopt to the culture that we live in. I think of missionaries in this regard. They're going into a foreign country. They're not trying to bring the Western culture. They're trying to bring Jesus. They're not trying to bring Americanisms. They're trying to bring Jesus, 
and we would well do the same. Just bring Jesus to the culture and let Jesus deal with the cultural changes. The last thing I want to, well, two more things I want to quickly talk to you about. I believe, and I've had several people ask, how do you study and how do you, how do you find out? Let me just give you a couple of things. I believe the Spirit is the first thing. If you have a relationship with the Lord, He'll give you the Spirit of Revelation as you read and study. But then there are some things that uh, are very important to us uh, that I use. Commentaries, translations, word study books are all helpful tools uh, desiring to grow in knowledge. Get, just dig into a scripture. Find all the commentaries. Find the Greek words and what it means. And pretty soon you'll get a picture of what God is saying. There's different ways that I study as well. Now, for me, I read a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs every day, 31 uh, chapters, 31 days. And I don't read the same translation over and over. Last month I did my ESV. This month I'm doing NLT. Next month I'll do King James. Uh, just in the one uh, month I'll do the message. I'll just do whatever... Uh, translations are out there because it gives me different perspectives in the word of the Lord. Some do it by rapid survey. They read several chapters a day, verse by verse, book study, topical study, character study. If you want to just study the character or the, the topic of fruitfulness, well, it can take you all over the word of the Lord to find people of fruitfulness. But the last thing that I want to mention tonight is simply this. The bottom line of all of it is we need to obey the word. I'm not talking just the Bible. I'm talking about Jesus. We need to become followers of Jesus. He is the expressed word of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. So we need to let the Bible shape our life. We need to let it strengthen us in temptation. We need to let it guide us and help others through us. Peter said this, and I close with this. To whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Praise God. I believe that we are living in a day where the word of God is going to come alive one more time. Would you just pray with me? Jesus, I'm praying tonight that you would reveal the word of the Lord to the people that are hearing this uh, message tonight, those that are searching and longing and wanting to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, let your expression and let yourself be revealed let the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us be revealed to each one of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And again, I just wanted one last reminder that this will be the last time we're on Wednesday evenings, at least for a while. I may jump on from time to time, but uh, for the most part, we're going to be moving to Thursday nights. We're going to take a couple week break here as I'm getting all of the material together for uh, the eschatology series starting the 1st of September. Praise God. Ladies, remember this week at 9 a.m. on Saturday. I know it's normally on a Friday, but come as you are event is a special day. Also, we want to mention that we are going to have a baptism Sunday on the 14th of August. So if you'd like to be baptized, we'll be ready to go and we'll see all kinds of people born of the water and the spirit. We love you and praise you, Jesus, for everything you've done. We love you tonight. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.